1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Last week we looked at the responsibility of the church to the pastor or the man of God. This week, as I said, we're going to be looking at the responsibility of the man of God to the church. And we're going to pick up at verse 16 and read down through verse 27. For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. What is my reward then? Verily that, when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ that charge, that abuse not my power in the gospel. For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. And to the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews, to them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without law, as without law, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker of there, thereof with you. Know ye not what they that run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain... And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. So again, the responsibility of the man of God to the church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity we have to open your precious word this morning. Thank you for the songs that we can sing and lift our voice in praise and worship to you and the truth that we find therein that encourages and strengthens our hearts. And so, Lord, I pray today as we look into the word of God, we allow you, by your blessed spirit, that indwells those of us who are born again, to hear and to take heed to your word as it's given. I pray that go forth in the demonstration of the spirit and of power. Lord, we do pray that be any in our midst who do not have the spirit of God dwelling within, that they'd be convicted by the spirit through the preached word of their sin and need of a savior. And we do thank you and praise you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we continue from kind of what last week of course, we talked about the responsibility of the church, uh, you know, of the man of, to the man of God, you know, the privileges that he has uh, rights just like anyone else. You know, some people have this idea that pastors can't do things that church members can't do. They can't get married. They can't, they can't uh, uh, you know, eat and drink and enjoy life like everybody else does. They have to live in poverty, you know, and that's kind of, that was kind of a mentality, I think, for a while in the 80s there that, that caused a lot of hurt uh, to many pe- to a lot of to, to children that, of of those kind of things. But a lot of that, again, uh, some of that was brought on by those in the ministry, brought on by themselves because they failed to teach what the truths of the Word of God. As we saw, that the man of God is to be supported by the people of God. 
And uh, so those are the things we looked at last week. And this week we're going to look at uh, more look at the responsibility of the man of God to the church. You know, the purpose of God in appointing a man to lead the church is for the preaching of the gospel. And of course, to understand what the preaching of the gospel is, we must compare Scripture to Scripture to come to a right understanding. And somehow this idea that, you know, if you preach the gospel, all you do is preach salvation. And that's preaching the gospel. Well, not really according to the Bible. That's not the whole gospel. And I want to look at that briefly to, to set the tone for this message uh, as we even consider like the great, what we call the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. It says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given to me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Now, a lot of people say, well, that's the gospel right there. But he didn't stop there. Notice what verse 20 says. Teaching them to observe all things, whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. If you, haven't, if you haven't taught people the truths of salvation and taught people the truths of Christian living and to be a witness and testimony for the Lord, that there's responsibilities that go along with being a Christian, you haven't preached the whole gospel. That really, that whole, the, the idea there is, you know, some, some people have that, well, we're going to go to the, we're gonna go to, to the Philippines, let's say, for example, and we're going to win souls. Well, that's not, that's not totally giving out the gospel. What you're supposed to do is go and disciple them and establish churches. That's the pattern we find through the New Testament. Teaching them to live the doctrines of, of, the, of the word of God and living lives that will please and honor the Lord. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 3. You know, again, this is taught throughout the Bible, Acts chapter 1, verse 3. Uh, it says, To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So Jesus, after you know, during his earthly ministry with his disciples, he kept teaching them things that pertained to or had to do with living a life in the kingdom of God. That's talking about discipleship and God living. It's not just salvation. It's, it's a one package deal, if you will. It's not two separate things. Is there somebody that gets saved and has no interest in discipleship? You know what I believe? They're not really saved. They're not really saved. Chapter 20, verse 27 Paul told the Ephesians elders, For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Ephesians 4 tells us that he gave some pastors and teachers, again, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, and, and, and to, to build up the body of Christ unto perfection. So there's uh, speaks of a growth there. Titus 2, verse 11 through 15, Grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. So the grace that teaches salvation also teaches us to live a godly life. So, you know, that is what the gospel is. That's what a thorough preaching of the gospel is. A man of God must declare all the counsel of God so that people understand and grow in their walk with the Lord. So they can understand the holiness of God, the depravity or the sinful nature of man, so that they can effectively witness 
and discern the spiritual condition of those they witness to. Otherwise, what you have is so common today, and has been for the last 30, 40 years, many people leading people in a sinner's prayer when they really don't understand where they are spiritually, where they stand before God. Therefore, the responsibility of the man of God is faithfulness to the Lord in preaching all, all that pertains to life and godliness. That means I have to preach the whole Bible. I can't pick and choose what's positive, what you like, and leave out what you don't like. Because to be honest, the truth is, what you don't like, I don't like either that much. Because I have the same flesh you do. And so, that is the responsibility. And I want to notice three things here this morning. First of all, the motivation of the man of God. In verses 16 through 17, the Bible says, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. For necessity is laid upon me, yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. And then there's three things as we think about the motivation of the man of God. First of all, it is for the glory of God. He said, I have, I have nothing to glory of. Nothing. The word glory means to boast. It means to boast. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verses 26 through 31, he says, you see your calling brother. And now this is to the church at Corinth. And this, this, this truth of, you know, you know, all these things that really pertain to the ministry of the man of God also pertain to church members, to the body of Christ. And this is what he's writing to them. For you see your calling brethren, how that not many wise men out of the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord." You know, it, it, we are of God made wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. It's God that works all those things in our life. It's not of us. It's not natural for me to be wise. It's not natural for me to be righteous. It's not natural for me to be sanctified or set apart to God. It's not ra- natural for me to redeem myself. It's not natural. All those things are of God. And so... Our glory is only in Him. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24, Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. So, so uh, uh, you know, Job, don't glory in your wisdom, and Nebuchadnezzar, don't glory in your might, and Solomon, don't you glory in your riches. Well, let him glory in this, that he understandeth, and knoweth me, that I am the Lord, which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. Charles Spurgeon said, preaching is, quote, the glory of heaven co-joined with the beauty of earth, and to extol the perfection of humanity united with the glory and dignity of deity. In his view, the job of the preacher was simple and direct because... We are mirrors reflecting the transactions of Calvary 
telescopes manifesting the distant glories of an exalted Redeemer, unquote. The ministry of the life of a Christian is not about us. It's about Him. It's about the Lord. We are, are, are to honor and glorify Him. And so when something in my life or in your life is not honoring the Lord, we must confess it to God and ask Him to help us to honor Him. You know, this truth really relieves us of a lot of pressure. If it's not about me, if it's about him, that relieves me of a lot of pressure. Because if you have a problem then with what I preach, and it's according to the scriptures, your problem's not with me. And I can sleep at night. I remember, I remember the first guy that I really witnessed to. And I began to talk to him about that we're all sinners. And he got angry. And he cursed. I, I felt bad that he got angry. But when I left that house, I had a peace that I couldn't explain. And, I, and, I, and, and the Lord said to me, you gave him the truth. You did your responsibility. His problem's not with you. It's with me. It's with me. You know, that relieved me a lot. Of, I, I, didn't, I didn't feel burdened. Oh, maybe I should have said this, or maybe I should have said that, or I wish I'd have, uh, Maybe I just didn't do it right. If I'd, if I'd have just done it right, he wouldn't have got so angry. I didn't have that feeling because I had done what was right. And I had confidence in it. And, you know, when we do what's right, when we glorify the Lord in our life, we do what's right, it relieves us of the pressure or the responsibility of it. Because, after all, it's not you. It wasn't Stephen that the Pharisees were angry at. He's just the guy they took it out on. It was the Lord. And Jesus made that plain when he spoke to Saul on the road to Damascus. I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. You know, I, I thought this. You know, you may pay me, but I am in the service to the Lord. You know, that's the way it's supposed to be. You know, in 1 Corinthians 4, and verses 1 through 4, says, let a man so account of us as the ministers of Christ. We're the ministers of Christ. And, and all of us are ministers. We should have a, a ministry for Christ, trying to reach people with the gospel. That's what the body is for. And stewards of the mysteries of God, more of us cry and stewards that a man be found faithful. But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not my own self. For I know nothing by myself, yet I am not hereby justified. But he that judgeth me is the Lord. In 2 Timothy 2.15 says this, Study to show thyself approved unto who? God. Study to show yourself. I remember a Sunday school teacher saying one time, he said, so you teachers, who do you study to show yourself approved to? 
Do you want your lesson that you're going to teach in a Sunday school just to be thought well of by the people you listen to? Or do you want it to be approved by God? See, do you want your life to be pleasing to a person or to somebody else? Or are you concerned that it's just pleasing to the Lord? Do you want how you work at your job just to, well, just to pass the inspection of the boss? Or do you want it to be pleasing to the Lord? That's a question we need to ask ourselves. You see, I'm not supposed to preach for your approval. For by doing so, I would honor you above the Lord. We are not to witness for the approval of men and women. Your, your witness should not be to get decisions from people. But that's the focus of a lot of soul, of, of a lot of soul winning seminars is to get decisions from people. Jesus didn't witness to get decisions from people. He witnessed that he might see people's lives surrendered to God. Ephesians 3.21 says, Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. You see, the, the motivation for the ministry is for the glory, first of all, it's for the glory of God. Secondly, it is a compulsion of the love of God. If you notice again verse uh, 16, <laughs> excuse me, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me, Woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. The word necessity here means imposed either by the external conditions of things or by the duty of the law. It's used in Jude, and it's translated there in English, needful. In Jude 1.3 it says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation... It was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. So Jude purposed that he was going to write concerning the common salvation. Then he said it was needful or necessary or he was impressed or he was impelled. No, to not write about the common salvation, but to write about earnestly contending for the faith. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14, Paul said this, The love of Christ constraineth us. And that word constraineth means to urge or to impel. It's a, it's a, a, for, a, 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 a drawing force. It's not a coercion, but a drawing force. It draws us out. It draws us out. That's what love does. Again, Charles Spurgeon said this, quote, If you can do something else, do it. Unquote. When I was going to Bible school, the, the uh, uh, pastor there at the school said, and, and I remember him saying that, you know, Charles Spurgeon said, If you can do anything else, do it. 
Because the love of Christ, Paul said, the love of Christ constrains me. It urges me. It impels me. It's, 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 a, it's a compelling force. You know, 1 Timothy 3 says, if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desires to work. That word desire means to stretch oneself and out in order to touch or to grasp something. So, you, so you're stretching out. You're reaching for it. You, you desire it. You know, the ministry is just not another way to make a living, but that's the way some of them look at it. Jeremiah talked about this compulsion. Jeremiah chapter 20, he was being ridiculed, even by his family. And finally, he said in verse 8, I'm just going to shut my mouth. In verse 9, he said, but I was weary with forbearing, and I could not stay. His word was in my heart, a burning fire. A feature friend of mine said one time, a preacher's got to preach. <laughs> because he's, it's of necessity. There's, there's a compulsion there. And he said, I do this thing willingly. In other words, it's unforced, it's voluntary, it's of one's own will, of one's own own accord. You know, our service for the Lord is is voluntary. It is not for gain. It is not for gain. You know, too many that enter ministry are looking for a pastorate. That's well established. Church is well established. Has a nice library. Has a good uh, financial. Package, you know, retirement and all that. That's not, that's not what they should be looking for. It makes me wonder who put the desire for the ministry into their life. You know, Paul said in Ephesians 4.1, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. He said, I'm a prisoner of the Lord. Now, the Lord did not put shackles on him. Now, he was in shackles when he wrote that. But he wasn't talking about those shackles. He was talking about how the Lord had drawn him into the ministry that he was in. And he said... He said, I'm a prisoner of the Lord. But he's not saying the Lord put shackles of me. But see, he was shackled of his own accord. He shackled himself to the Lord. That's what he did. He went up to the Lord, and the Lord had a shackle, and it was open on this end, and he put that shackle around his leg and said, I'm going to stay right here because this is where I want to be. You, know, you and I need to draw near to the Lord and shackle ourselves to him and say, this is where I want to stay. This is where I want to be. See, our focus needs to be on the Lord, not on the people. I've heard this several times, particularly talking about missionaries. If a missionary's focus is the people, 
when those people do not respond as they expect, they will lose their zeal for the people and grow discouraged and quit. They have to understand that that desire should be of the Lord, not the people. You know, there's many a time, I'll just be honest with you, there's many a time I just want to quit. Because we don't have visitors walking in every Sunday. And we go out in visitation. It's like we were out, last time we were out, you know, Brother Hohen got talking a little bit afterward. He says, you know, they receive it like we're going out and poking our fingers in their eyes. So why do we do this? Because people get offended? So if our focus is on people, I quit. I quit. I have to remind myself this is the Lord's work. Not mine. It's about the Lord. And it requires that we have an understanding of who has, it goes back to last week's message, who has appointed us? Who has appointed us? Who has chosen us to be his servant? And so there's this compulsion. Paul said, you know, necessity is laid upon me. So that's the motivation of the gospel. Secondly, the adaptability in verses 19 through 23, he says, For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. And unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews, to them that are under the law as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law, to them that are without law as without law, to, but not without law to God, but under the law to Christ that I might gain them that are without law. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. So the adaptability of the ministry refers to being flexible. Now, this passage is used many times to justify compromising the gospel. But that is not what Paul is saying here. I wanted to draw your attention to two, wor- two words or phrases in verse 19, and that is the word free, and then the word uh, made myself servant. Of course, the word free means here exempt or unrestrained, not bound by an obligation. We all know from the Bible that Paul declared to the Roman centurion who, who delivered him out of the hand of the Pharisees, in, in Acts chapter 21, I think it is, or 22, that Paul is a free-born man. In other words, he has, he was born a Roman citizen with all the rights, privileges that go along with being a free-born man. He could go anywhere he wanted in the Roman Empire. He could do anything he wanted to do as long as he didn't break the laws of the Roman Empire. He was bound to no one. He was under obligation to no one. He said, I'm free. But, he said, 
I've made myself servant to all. In other words, I give myself wholly to one's needs and service. I make myself a bondman to him. It's to be, it's, the idea is to be made subject to the rule of someone. So, though he was free, he had no obligation to anyone, he made himself a servant to all people to try and reach them with the gospel. To the Jew, he became a Jew. He went where the Jews were. He went to the synagogue. And in the synagogue, he put himself under the authority of the leader of the synagogue. You know, he would go into the, him and Barnabas would go into the synagogue, and they always had somebody stand up and read the scriptures. But there was not, Paul wasn't in charge. Barnabas wasn't in charge when they'd go into the synagogue. So they'd walk into the synagogue, being a visitor and being Jewish, the man might say, well, we're going to have somebody read the scriptures. You that are visiting, would you like to read the scriptures? And Paul would take that opportunity to open the scriptures and read about the Lord Jesus Christ and explain to them how he had fulfilled the Old Testament scriptures. He would be like a Jew in so much that he took Timothy whose mother was a Jewess and father was a Greek and had him circumcised. A grown man, he had him circumcised because Timothy was going to go with him in the ministry. Now, did he have to do that? No. Circumcision is nothing. That's why he told, when he wrote the letter to the Romans, he said circumcision is nothing. It's not Wrong not to circumcise, and there's no commandment that you have to circumcise, even if you're a Jew nowadays. But, just to remove any possibility of a stumbling block to a Jew, he had Timothy circumcised. Now, did he violate God's law? No. No, he didn't. But he would do these things that the Jews did so that he wouldn't, he wouldn't offend them by his conduct. And same, those without law. You know, that makes me, he says I'm, uh, 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 he was, a, he was a, a, um, I'm trying to remember the words, he was, went on to the barbarians. You know, the Galatians were known to be a barbaric people. But he he preached the gospel to them. Uh, when preaching to the Gentiles, he lived like the Gentiles. Now, Matthew Henry said this in his commentary, quote, He would not sin against God to save the soul of his neighbor, but he would very cheerfully and readily deny himself the rights of God he would not give up, but he might resign his own, and he very often did, so for the good of others, unquote. You see, he wouldn't violate the, the, the commandments of God for anyone, but he would deny himself his own rights for the sake of reaching 
others. You know what that means? Sometimes they're going to say things to you and you're not going to react in kind, even though it may be in your right as a person, as a human being to do it, but it's not right or profitable in the sight of God. In other words, he was willing to be inconvenienced to reach people with the gospel. I fear the great problem in our, in, our, in our churches today is many of us do not want to be inconvenienced. We want all the conveniences of life. We don't want to be looked upon as odd or out of place. We want all the shopping malls, the restaurants, be near our families and friends, and we don't want to be where our, we are uncomfortable. Uh, we want to be where we are comfortable or we come to resent what the Lord has commanded us to do. You know, I was, I was in a church and with a pastor and his family quite a few years back, and we were at the lunch table, and his daughter and his son, their families were there, and uh, something came up about missions and 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 you know and and uh, I, I guess somebody said something about me being having a pioneer spirit. I mean, I go where nobody else wants to go. I don't care how cold it is. You know, I really don't want to go to Africa though. It's too hot over there. But uh, and snakes, I just don't like reptiles. But you know, frozen lakes and and snow, you know, and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, and uh, you know, I said you need, we need willing. And and the daughter said, "No, I want to stay right here. I want to be able to look out my window and see Mama's house." But you know, that's is, and maybe that's okay for her. But that's not the right attitude we ought to have. She don't want to leave mama's side. You see, if we're going to take the gospel of the world, some of us got to leave mama's side. We've got to inconvenience ourselves. And that can be done right at home, too. We have to be willing to inconvenience ourselves sometimes. You see, Paul was willing to inconvenience himself. I remember a pastor friend and I, were, he was telling me about a missionary he had at his church that was going to Russia, some part of Russia. Anyway, this people group that he was going to try and reach, he said the problem is going to be in the summer, they move to where their gardens and fields are and live like camping. (laughs) He said, if you're going to reach them, guess what you're going to do? You're going to move with them. You see, he didn't want to inconvenience himself to reach these people groups. That's being adaptable. Adaptable. We have to become all things to all men that we might by all means reach some, save some. Then to notice verse thirdly, the responsibility, verses 24 through 27. And here Paul is using the sporting events of the day to illustrate being active in the service of the Lord. Of course, this was especially meaningful to the Corinthians because their city was the center for the Ithmian Games, which was second only to the Olympics, uh, the ancient Olympics. And he's saying that we have been chosen or commanded by the Lord to enter the race. If you notice in verse 24, he says, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but, but 
one receiveth the prize, so run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth a mastery is temperate in all things. Now they did it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we in are incorruptible. And so we have been chosen or commanded by the Lord to enter the race, you know, to be involved in the ministry of reconciliation, that is of reaching others with the gospel of Christ. And, and that requires that we enter the race or we get into the race. You know, Timothy tells us in 2 Timothy 1.9 that he saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his purpose and grace, which is given us in Christ Jesus before the world again. Of course, this requires, you know, to enter a race requires preparation. Not just anyone enters a race. You know, I see advertisements, you know, all the time, and you see them as well, I know, signs for, that's a 5K on such and such a date here. You know, and it's an advertisement if you want to enter the 5K. No, thank you. I'm not a runner. You know, I could barely finish the two-mile uh, two run to get past the presidential fitness test when I was in high school. We had to do that thing. I went to public school. But anyway, uh, and I always hated that thing. But anyway, no, God says, commands us to run, the, encourages us to run the race. The word, the word run here means to exert oneself. To spend one's strength. To spend one's strength. And we are to run that you may obtain. You are to exert yourself to make the race your own. Make giving out the gospel your responsibility. And again, he uses also the word strive for the mastery. To enter a contest, to contend. And the idea is, is to contend in the, in the games. And so it requires preparation. Which is, requires a sanctification of life. Now, to get into the Isthmian games, there were qualifications. They were both physical and moral. You know, not anybody can just get in the Olympics. If I, want, I can't get in the Olympics just because I want to. There are stipulations and requirements for, you know, that they must be legalists, that's all I can say, you know. I mean, they put these restrictions on oh, certain people can allow in. No, th- but there are requirements. And he says that everyone that striveth mastery is temperate in all things. That word temperate means to exhibit self-government. Conduct oneself temperately. The word temperate has the idea of self-control. In everything, in every way. You know, to be proficient in the athletic field, one must discipline himself. Avoid indulging in the appetites of the flesh. Great athletes train and train and train and discipline and discipline and discipline. That's what they do. In fact, there was a guy back in the 80s. His name was Roy Tarpley. When Roy Tarpley entered the National Basketball Association, it was assumed that Dallas could build a team around him. This was in 1986. And someone said, quote, He was a forward with the height of a center and speed of a guard, fluid and explosive force who could rebound, run the floor, and attack the rim. That was what was said about him. 
They said there was nobody like him at that time. Experts say he would have made the American dream team for the Barcelona Olympics if he had fulfilled his obvious talent. Instead, when he should have been at the top of his game, he was not even in the NBA. My problem, Tarpley said, was with success. Every time I was successful, I had to go out and party. He became an alcoholic. He liked to party. One, one writer said he could not just control himself. He was like a little kid that never grew up. And Paul's saying here, look, if we're going to strive for the mastery, you have to be temperate. You have to govern. You have to exhibit some self-governing. For a child of God, what that means is you've got to let the Spirit of God control your life. You know, self doesn't really govern self. The flesh is deceitful, but all things desperately, desperately wicked. You know, what we need to do is bring our bodies in subjection. If you notice, he goes on here and says in verse uh, 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 25, And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown. So the crown that the, those at the Isthmian, Isthmian Games or the Olympics are going to get is corruptible, but we an incorruptible. Therefore, so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. He says, I keep under. In other words, I buffet my body. That's the idea. He buffets his body. In other words, he, he subjects it. He, he, he brings it into subjection. He makes it a slave or treats his body as a slave with severity and subjects it to stern and rigid discipline. He brought it under. He would work to bring it under the control of the spirit and not allow it to dominate his life. You know, the problem with the world is the flesh dominates their life. And when we, you know, the problem we have in our, in our, our lives, the struggles, is we, we have a struggle uh, uh, keeping that flesh under subjection. See, Paul did not allow his flesh, his body, to govern his life. He brought it under the control of the Spirit of God so that he would not be disqualified by the judge. Because every Isthmian Games, they'd start out announcing who qualified and who didn't. Or if you broke the rules, you were disqualified. Somebody considered to be one of the greatest athletes of the 20th century, Jim Thorpe, was disqualified from the Olympics after having won gold medals because he had played professional baseball for pay. So there were things that Paul set aside out of service to the Lord. You know, Second Timothy chapter two, verses three through five. <clears throat> 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. And Paul writing to Timothy, who was a pastor, and gave him instructions concerning this. He says, 
Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. If a man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned, except he strive lawfully. You, know, you may win a game, but if you break the rules in that game, you'll be disqualified. That's what it means to strive lawfully. We have to strive or serve in a way that pleases the Lord. Or in the end, it's just going to be discredited. In verse 20 of 2 Timothy 2, he said, In a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man purge himself from these, and he's talking about some of the things that they mentioned before, if a man purge himself from these, the things of dishonor, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, that means set apart, meat means fit, for the master's use, and prepared on every good work. See, Paul is saying here in 1 Corinthians 9, I want to be a vessel that's fit and not disqualified. Lest when I have preached to others, I myself would be disqualified. You see, we are to be holy in all manner of conversation, Peter tells us, 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16. It means our conduct, our attitudes, our words. Jesus said in Matthew 12, Every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account there in the day of judgment. Do you ever think about the context? I never, I never thought about the context of that passage before, but in that, the context of that passage was the Pharisees were saying that his miracles were the works of Beelzebub. And he said, the words you are saying, you're going to give an account to God in the judgment. You need to be careful what you say. See, Paul had his life governed by the Holy Spirit. He kept his body in the subjection to what was right before the Lord. That's our responsibility for God. The Holy Spirit that dwelt in him governed his life. Is your life governed by the Lord through his Spirit? And so that's our responsibility. It is to declare these truths and challenge us. And so we ask ourselves, are we fulfilling our responsibility for, before God? Are we allowing the Spirit of God? Is He our motivation? Are we allowing Him to adapt to the circumstances which we find ourselves in, being flexible? You know, sometimes we have to rearrange our schedules to meet what other people may want. You know, sometimes as a pastor, that means you have to get up at night. I got a phone call one night, and I was in bed. Husband and wife were fighting. He was threatening to burn the house down. 
That's part of it. And, and you know what else was part of it? I called, a, I called a man in the church to go with me, and I went to the house. He could have said, I'm tired. I, I, I just went to bed. He didn't say that. He said, sure, I'll go with you. That's being flexible, being adaptable. Sometimes we have to be adaptable, not to compromise, but to adapt. And then allow the Spirit of God to work, have his will and way in our life, and enter that race. How was it with you this morning?